right now all over in pakistan you can see is the majoritarian coercive consensus imposing itself on various minorities hello and welcome to another episode of pakistanomy uh, in the last few weeks the pakistan telecommunication authority has been on a rampage essentially banning one platform after another talking about immoral and indecent content and really having a broad interpretation of the pakistan electronic crimes act of 2016 to do this um so we figured we have a conversation around what's going on with faria aziz faria is a brilliant um co-founder and director at Bolo B which is a civil society organization doing fantastic work on making sure that internet freedoms and free expression on the internet is protected in Pakistan so Faria welcome to Pakistanomy thank you sir i want to start with your take on what's going on uh, you know tiktok the tiktok ban that happened a couple of days ago really seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back but this is not something that has come out of the blue right there has been a slow and steady uptick in what the PTA is trying to do so just help the listeners understand in terms of what's happened over the last few weeks in Pakistan and why this is a cause for concern for many of us who talk about and are worried about free expression not just in Pakistan but in around the world so this is something it's a pattern that um we've seen since July uh PUBG Bigo um then uh, various um, chat apps dating apps all of them have been blocked or served warnings and even TikTok was earlier served a final warning as PTA uh, termed it so this is and also um other than that what we've been seeing is uh, you know on the pemra front the other regulator which is the electronic media authority uh with dramas with ads and both PTA and Pemra are saying we're receiving complaints from users or consumers who are saying to us there is obscene immoral content available and so this is essentially in response to that um however the actions are still ad hoc and arbitrary um and this is something that came up at the time of PUBG actually it was very interesting to see the reaction often um these bans um as they are even now by some people are celebrated saying oh uh, good job pta you should definitely you know it's all about protecting the morals of our society and youth um and so videos should be banned and everything else uh, these platforms should be banned um but pubg elicited a, a strong reaction especially from the gaming community who were just not taking it um and interestingly um the company also filed uh, a you know a petition before the islamabad high court and this is also something we've not seen happen before when uh, larger platforms or foreign platforms have been blocked who, who do not have a uh, legal or physical presence as such in the country and are not localized um so that was different and interesting and also the islamabad high court did say you need to lift the ban on uh, pubg Uh, PTA cannot um, make these assumptions that you know uh, such games are leading to uh, suicide or mental health issues because that's what the PTA order in a very overbroad manner also referenced so i mean look the pubg thing is unique right the gaming community came out and it's very hard to argue 
um, that, you know, suicide or other issues with video games are being caused, um, particularly in a place like Pakistan, because there isn't a lot of research. There is global research that the PTI would argue could have used in, in this instant. But, you know, overall, they just can't argue that. But when it comes to morality and decency there, it's even hard to go in front of the courts and make that point because you never really know what the position the court is going to take, because technically the law does say it, right? But then who defines indecency and immorality um, is a question. So what's your take in terms of that dichotomy, right? That on one hand, something like gaming can lead the Islamabad High Court to say, well, um, you can't really do this, but in other more cultural issues, um, should companies go to the court and risk having that precedent be set where the court basically says that this definition of the PTA is correct? You're absolutely right in terms of, so with the gaming, it's still easier. Uh, even though they did uh, seem to imply that there was indecent or uh, content or cult not uh, culturally you know, appropriate content. However, when we talk about immorality or decency, etc. Um, these are again blanket vague terms and it's a harder thing uh, to take before the court as well as blasphemy, right? So often these are the two categories that are um, that content is linked to either it's blasphemous content or anti-religious content or there is then uh, cultural sort of immoral, immoral content, right? Um, and we know that as a society, also in courts, uh, there's a particular view taken towards it. It's a hard, they, you don't have much maneuver room um, around this, so that, which is why most um, petitions, most arguments have been based on abuse of process uh, versus really coming down to the content of it. We never really get down to the content discussion. And so we're always talking about abuse of process. So they acted beyond their powers. Uh, it was illegal. It's overbroad. However, so in Article 19 and Article 19 uh, of the Constitution of Pakistan, Pakistan contains these um, terminologies, right? Decency, morality, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's very vague to begin with. Um, it actually subjects your rights to, uh, to freedom of expression to a lot of limitations and restrictions. Now, how, but then we come to how is this to be interpreted and who's supposed to do that, right? Um, now, Article 19A, which is our right to information, uh, you know, the section of the constitution, has been legislated upon. So there are prescribed methods in terms of what you can uh, ask for, not ask for, what is the procedure for doing that and uh, how it may be provided and if you're denied or, and all of that. Article 19 has not been legislated. It just sits there in the constitution as an article um, and uh, is applied. We don't have great jurisprudence either developed around it in court. So there's nothing really to rely on. So what happened then with the Prevention of Electronic Crimes Act 2016, which is a cybercrime law, as we refer to it, Article 19 gets copy pasted as Section 37 of FICA, and PTA is empowered uh, then to interpret and apply the restrictions, these broad categories, which remain undefined to date. Uh, by parliament, by the judiciary at large. And so a legislative and a judicial function has been outsourced um, uh, to a telecommunications authority. And so and, and the just to, to pause right there, because this is a very interesting point that I kind of want to, you know, dive a bit deeper on is that what has happened through that, because the act was uh, legislated upon by parliament. So parliamentarians gave up a fundamental legislative issue which they should have legislated on 
and the will of the people technically should have been exercised upon in terms of what the rules around Article 19 are, has been given to unelected, largely unaccountable uh, authority in the form of the PT. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, to bureaucrats essentially is, is, uh, is who uh, exercise this function, the executive, right? And so, um, and uh, a lot of us, many of us um, continue saying Section 37 needs to be repealed. Uh, it's uh, for, uh, to us, it's unconstitutional, even in the manner in which parliament framed it, we find it to be unconstitutional, but that's obviously a different debate. However, if you look at how courts have also over the years uh, directed uh, regulators, Courts have also been somehow outsourcing their function, judicial powers, uh, very happily to these regulators who are not independent at all. They may be statutory bodies created through acts of parliament. However, we know that in the exercise of their functions, they're not completely independent and they do take direction from, you know, whether it's the executive or others, um, which is a problem. So we don't have an independent regulator. Then... Um, we have uh, regulators who arbitrarily decide things. So again, there's this because everybody's been used to PEMRA functioning for television, they think that PTA should act as a PEMRA for the internet. That is so misconceived because the medium is completely different, right? How you consume your information is very, very different. So television, and again, P PEMRA um, basically regulates its licensees. What we've been arguing is that internet users are not PTA's licensees. And, and um, also like PEMRA is not the shining light and No, it's not, not at all. So one is that argument. The other thing is we're not uh, PTA's licensees. Secondly, the um, platforms that it uh, seeks to regulate are also not PTA's licensees, right? The only licensees here are the ISPs which are the intermediaries and basically are not making the content decisions and should not be making the content decisions. So this is a larger freedom of expression uh, and your constitutional rights argument. And PTA is constantly uh, you know, violating also due process. So PTA does, so while PEMRA has, let's say a code of conduct, and I was recently asked whether I think that an ethics committee should exist within the PTA uh, for the internet. And I don't believe that a censor board for the internet should exist at all, right? One, because of the medium. If I'm not going to the content, I'm not seeing it. The second part is if you're concerned about children, there are other parental control mechanisms and parents need to do that. The state and the regulator have no business other than maybe facilitating the tools that people can use, so self-help tools, but not making those decisions for us, right? The whole problem right now is we want to subject other adults to our version of morality. And this is the fundamental issue with how regulation um, you know, is done in the country. It's not enough that we don't see it. We don't want others to see it either. And not to be ageist about this, but I mean, I will be because the bureaucrats and the people making those decisions are, there's a clear generational divide. So uh, they're not digitally native. They are not folks who understand how the internet, frankly, works. Like I was listening to a video over the weekend and someone made a very valid point was that, you know, give one of these folks a brand new iPhone or Android, open out of a box and tell them to call them on WhatsApp in 15 minutes and odds are they won't be able to do it because it's just, there's, there's a clear divide. And I don't, it's not about age. It's just a generational shift that has occurred and the world is moving really fast. So we can't expect um, this type of regulation to occur, um, especially 
uh, when the goal is digital Pakistan, right? Before going to digital Pakistan, Fariyad, as you were mentioning that, I remember speaking to you in Karachi when I was there a couple of years ago or so, and we were talking about Pekka and, you know, our worst sort of nightmares about this. So two or three years on from that, where we, you are today, particularly, um, are those worst nightmares about this terrible, terrible piece of legislation being realized? Oh, absolutely. If you look at, and so this is five years on, right? Our advocacy against this law started in 2015 when the leaked copy, um, you know, we were able to obtain it and then we started advocacy around it and it went through various iterations. If you look at what we submitted then, all of our reservations that we put on record repeatedly um, and the documentation of abuse under section 37, section 20, which we uh, call the criminal defamation, or broadly different sections of the law, but also how the FIA exercises its powers or PTA exercises its powers. Every single thing has been confirmed and they've gone far beyond also in terms of how quickly the consequences set in of this law. And it started as early as 2017, hardly a year into it, right? Really shows you, as we said, that the intent of this law was never to provide protection to citizens. The intent was always to control and assert the state's hegemony over speech and information. And that is exactly what we are seeing. And I don't just say this in terms of, you know, uh, political speech. There's a cultural hegemony also. Um, this homogenization of Pakistani society, of erasing any kind of diversity that exists, right? And that is something, so the cultural front um, has always been another battleground, which we've seen in the name of religion, in the name of culture, things are shut down. And this is what we're seeing play out even now in this instance, right? Um, so obviously those uh, fears have been confirmed. The other thing is that, I mean, uh, they go on ad acting arbitrarily, the PTA, this course of judgments, Islamabad High Court, for instance, uh, the, which had to remind PTA that, look, you have to give notice and uh, an opportunity of hearing. You have to pass reasoned orders. Now, these are very basic things in law that exist um, outside of Pekka and otherwise and things they're aware of, but they do not do. And they have to be served reminders by the high courts repeatedly each time there's abuse, um, but they're not taken to task. And then you have the social media rules, right? Um, the whole conversation around that where first, uh, secretively, just like the law, um, they introduced it. Then there was confusion about, oh, but, uh, you know, has cabinet approved it, not approved it? And here we are, 2.0, news reports saying, uh, you know, that uh, they've, uh, they held this sham consultation process, which we boycotted and a lot of others did, because we knew this was just eyewash. It's going to be a process to try and seek legitimacy and show everyone, oh, look, we took their input and now here they are. But the version of the rules that we're hearing about are very similar to the ones that were opposed, right? So nothing really uh, has been done. To your point about, you know, how, and as people say that, oh, but these are these boomers sitting in these organizations who are really taking these decisions. My concern though, I do want to flag this, is that while yes, it's a generational issue, I don't have huge hopes from uh, let's say uh, millennials and Gen Zs, especially in the political, uh, uh, the current political scenario, because when um, TikTok was served a final warning or Beagle was blocked, if you look at what uh, the prime minister's focal person on uh, digital, uh, he, he tweeted, uh, was that we need to do these things, um, you know, for to protect our sort of our culture and 
all of that. So this mentality does exist across generations. The mentality that we will enforce our political view, our cultural view, our religious view on others. And right now, all over in Pakistan, you can see is the majoritarian coercive consensus imposing itself on various minorities. And this is something we're seeing play out on the internet as well and society at large. No, I think that's a valid point. And, you know, uh, let, we can talk a bit about this issue in terms of how even Gen Z or millennials have this perspective about guarding the culture and fortress Pakistan, almost one could call it that mentality. Um, but before I do that, um, just in terms of advocacy, right, the opposition led by the PMLN now, the party that pushed through PECA back in the day, um, is trying to talk now about fundamental constitutional rights, or at least frame its position in terms of what's going on and whether you take it with a grain of salt or not is your political perspective. But there is an opportunity, I would say, in terms of advocacy and forcing them to take a position on these laws and, and make an argument for why reform is needed. Are you sort of optimistic that that kind of advocacy has a chance in terms of at least convincing the folks now in opposition, but who are in power, who put some uh, these types of draconian measures back in the day? So um, certainly uh, the advocacy needs to continue and it is. So far as optimism is concerned, I'd like for them to do things and vote a certain way in parliament versus speeches online on the streets for me to actually believe that they're serious about this. So while, um, yes, certainly it is great that they are now talking about fundamental rights in the constitution, um, and it had to happen to them, uh, for them to realize, I also don't believe that none of them knew what they were doing, right? Um, whether it was PMLN or whether it was the opposition, because opposition uh, initially as allies in the National Assembly, in the Senate, they had a majority, but they passed, uh, a, you know, a very... Um, my, so the amendments that were made were very cosmetic at the Senate stage to this bill. So they also knew uh, what they were doing. Um, you know, when push comes to shove, and this is something we repeatedly uh, reminded them that they cave and they, um, you know, uh, don't cater to rights. And so it's a speaker as actually a result of the compromises of all political parties. It's not as a PMLN certainly bulldozed it, but the opposition didn't do enough. However, having said that, now with PMLN, PPP, and um, you know all the others as a joint sort of opposition, um, they need to, I would say, undo what they uh, started in the first place. Look, sedition, pika, etc. I mean, okay, now that you see that uh, in an FIR against the Mal Sharif, you have cyber terrorism section 10 of pika is been used against journalists prior to this. Um, you know, it's been used against PTM activists as well. Uh, and a sedition as well. Two years, people have been fighting these battles. Now it's come to the heart of Punjab, to your largest political party, you know, opposition. That's why suddenly we are remembering the constitution and fundamental rights and we need to. So what I really want to see from the opposition, if it's really meaningful discourse about the constitution and fundamental right is linking that to the struggle of citizens and activists who have been on the fringe, who have been fighting their battles, joining that and actually voting to amend and repeal um, not just parts of PICA, hold our FIA accountable as well, but also get rid of criminal defamation that lies in the PPC. Uh, you need to get rid of sedition. So you need a larger, broader agenda of freedom of expression that goes beyond uh, 
it goes beyond speeches. I want to see these things happen in Parliament. Yeah, I think it's it's when when the foot of these draconian laws and 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 methods is on the neck of the other side. In this sense, the PMLN. Now you remember what what havoc and these things wreak, right? And it's funny because. In a way, Pakistan got its independence in 1947, but rulers since 1947 have relied on colonial era laws that were meant to suppress people after the War of Independence of 1857 or the mutiny, as the British call them. These measures, these laws have a history. They were put in place after that to suppress voice of the citizens of the subcontinent at that time. And for uh, some reason, one reason or the other, whether it's India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh, rulers in all these countries love using these colonial era laws, even though they say or claim to profess independence from that from that history. Um, switching to this idea of millennials and Gen Z, and you know, um, I I wrote about this in the context of brand Pakistan versus product Pakistan, and the fact that digital Pakistan, for example, was a great branding exercise, but a branding and marketing exercise can only go so far when the product itself has bugs or i would say features in them which are about banning things and you cannot have an innovation economy an economy that is creative and a society that is creative um while enforcing these measures because creative people are by essence rule breakers they don't like the status quo and they want to change it and pakistan has had this decades long experiment in thought control in suppressing expression and and controlling all of that so what's your take in terms of the aspiration of something like a digital pakistan with the reality of the fact that the state itself is sort of this guardian of people's thinking and does that work in an environment when you're trying to modernize an economy while the status quo says we need to control what people think and do online and offline no absolutely not there's an inherent contradiction in that and you pointed out really uh, well especially in the innovation part of you know what you wrote that if you are somebody who's creative uh, but you're going to be uh, held by all of these confines and then how can you possibly expect someone to also follow rules very stringently but also think out of the box and give you all of these solutions and over a long uh, you know um, period of time this is only going to be detrimental to the, your own state and society there's no way we're progressing and honestly um this vision of digital pakistan and we'll be you know we'll um let the leash is uh, sort of uh, loosen the leash as much as we want but then tighten it when we want as well uh, it's really not going to work um and digital pakistan how are you um, aspiring towards a digital pakistan when the only message that you send out in fact you send out the message the same day that you publicize that you know the prime minister has spoken to sheryl sandberg ceo about investment and then you go and ban a very popular app look at the numbers for tiktok look at the numbers for bigo um and there is a class aspect to it as well right something that so working classes are using these platforms and so this is inherently elitist behavior as well right where you don't like it it's not palatable to you so you're going to block it um but your uh, a significant number i mean as it is in internet penetration is not what it should be access to the internet in pakistan or stable quality access is not what it should be right instead of focusing on that the people who are and have migrated to these platforms are using them have established a presence are also earning through it you just take it away overnight 
so how do you um, how do you think that you're going to progress at all? The other thing I will say is that look, I I think this modernity digital Pakistan project is as similar as Musharraf's enlightened moderation, right? So here you have your dictator saying, oh, so it's again it's very lifestyle liberalism, um, which was Musharraf's project, right? So. Let them, unlike like MBS, let them have a fashion show, let women drive, but let the ones who actually fought for it remain in jail, right? And that's really what it's all about. It's all a facade to show how you want to progress and everything, but in real life terms, on ground, giving out those uh, rights or upholding them, that's not happening anywhere. So we're not going to get anywhere with this. You can't, uh, you know, uh, straddle these two sort of contradictions you want this and that um and we need to fix uh, we need course correction immediately and so what does that course correction from your perspective look like and i agree that this sort of like you know be socially being socially liberal in the musharraf experiment was considered like the solution to pakistan's radicalism and radicalization problem um, and in fact, socially liberalism does not mean that you're progressive. People misconflated that. And to this, they continue conflating that. Um, and now you have this digital Pakistan initiative where the foundational elements of a digitization economy or digital economy um, are not there are a weak foundationally, but this, this facade is created about how we want to digitize. So moving forward, like what are from your perspective, things that need to happen either in the political domain, but I would like your thoughts on primarily on also on the societal domain um, to move the country forward in terms of becoming more creative and expressive and tolerate um, different ideas and dissent, whether online or offline. So uh, what I re reference uh, at that time, it was uh, socially liberal. Right now we're on a socially conservative, um, you know, platform where it's, popular to uh, show yourself to be uh, this pietist sort of prime minister of society or whatever, irrespective of what the ground realities are, right? So like I said, the facade, um, that's all we get, whether it's from, you know, uh, a Musharraf or an Imran Khan or whatever. So it's really not very different. Uh, what we do need um, is an understanding of one, the internet as a medium, which does not exist. And not only does it not exist in society, but within the judiciary, within parliament, within uh, you know, government institutions, um, there are generational perspectives and those need to be recognized. But what I, uh, I don't only see, let's say, you know, how we say the boomer generation as a threat, because okay, fine, they'll uh, eventually pass on. It's the millennials and Gen Zs who are so taken up also by these populist narratives, right? Um, and in being populist, what we don't do is go to the depth and nuances of issues to really understand right now. So it's, it's about canceling out each other's narratives or voices. It's not about um, diverse voices being on the same platform, hearing one another out, right? Um, there's manipulation of platforms uh, online as well. So something that we used to think internet was a democratizing um, space and so were these platforms that's not true in, anymore the way that there is a, has been a right-wing capture also politically but also how states have uh, manipulated and uh, put their resources towards it and established and entrenched their power things have changed drastically so on the political front we're going to have to have also acknowledge this right have these debates um, and fundamental rights 
um, really have to come back. So unfortunately, that's always a fringe argument. It cannot be the fringe argument. It has to be the core argument. Um, that unfortunately does not happen. No, it's not okay when a prime minister decides to make a statement or the judiciary makes an off-the-cuff remark about blocking something or the PTA goes ahead and does it, right? We have to look at the scheme of the law. So problematic issues with the law, while they remain, what is it that the constitution gives us by way of due process that we can at least hold them to account while we discuss repeal and taking things out, right? PTA cannot act arbitrarily even as well as it exists. So what is parliament doing? What are our, What is the judiciary doing? We seem some good judgments by the Islamabad High Court, not in a partisan manner. They are only enforcing how the law should be enforced by asking the right questions. So we need parliament to do more of that, the standing committees to do more of it. Um, FIA had to submit um, reports under FICA. 53 FICA says biannual reports by the FIA. Only one to date has been submitted in you know all these years. And so why isn't parliament asking them for this information? When you file right to information requests with the FIA, they said, we're not bound to respond. That's a violation of the law of the land that was enacted by parliament. Yes, they are bound to respond. Is, are they the law unto themselves? The FIA and PTA are certainly acting this way. So we have to curtail that. On the social front, right? This panic about mor morals. Um, and again, it's so duplicitous. Look at the levels of sexual violence and other things that are reported. Even that uh, is, you know, oh, is it because there's obscene content? That's why it happens. That is completely untrue. When there was no television and the internet, uh, did people, you know, was there no sexual violence? Was there, was there no crime? Um, over a period, so obviously we can talk about intensifying and other dynamics, etc. But the fact is that these things have existed. They may intensify, but it's not just going to go away because the internet or some uh, tomorrow it'll be somebody, it'll be something else, right? You can't. Uh, there, there can't be the siege mentality where you're just going to shut down because that's not helping you. You shut yourself off from the world. The world is going on. It's you're not doing yourselves or your society or your nation any favors. So try and understand the medium. Try and understand the issues and why they occur, and try. Um, and as far as you know, um, content is concerned on platforms, this is also from the co corporate government nexus, right? Where it's not okay if TikTok had, based on government request, removed X number of videos. Right now, the primary question is, when we talk about notice and opportunity of hearing in recent orders, this should not be a process between the government or PTA or the company. The user has to be central to this. The person who put up the content, the person who invested their resources into uh, you know, the following and the ad base and all of that, the platform is monetizing uh, and is getting any kind of popularity based on its users. So the users are kept out of the fray. Then they go ahead and go talk to regulators and governments and decide to arbitrarily remove user content or users from the platform. Uh, or the government decides or the PTA decides to remove the content, uh, sorry, the platform completely. So really centralizing the user question, their rights, whether it's from a constitutional point of view or platforms also in terms of how they uh, implement their uh, rules or community guidelines or whatever it is. So I think on your point in terms of these things happening, not because of Bollywood or Hollywood, they're part of our society, right? Um, I see some classical texts back in your bookshelf. I was thinking of, as you were talking about that Babar Nama, which 
If folks haven't read, it's the biography of Emperor Babur who founded the Mughal Empire in which he very openly writes about and talks about his and his tribe's love for young boys. It's called Bacha Bazi in Afghanistan and in other parts of Central Asia, um, which is, uh, uh, you know, now that we think about it, are acts of sexual abuse towards young boys and girls, which continues to be an issue in society. And these are deep societal issues that are part of centuries of traditions that have, you know, been around in our part of the world. And so honor killing, karokari, all that sort of stuff or abuse of women, one in four Pakistani women face some sort of violence after they turn 15. Um, this is from the Pakistan Demographic and Health Survey. So these are, this has nothing to do with, you know, access to Bollywood or Hollywood. In fact, you look at parts of FATA and former FATA and KP and Balochistan, the rates of abuse there are higher. And in fact, they are less connected to the internet. So one would argue that clearly something else is going on here looking at the data. Um, but I think there's another important point or one more important point I wanted to make is that when you look at the sort of morality question coming from leaders, let's talk about Prime Minister Imran Khan, a renowned playboy in his youth, now someone who has found his faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can go either way in terms of your perspective, and that's your perspective, whether you're conservative or liberal. But it is the sum of his experiences as a man growing up in the West, in England, having parties with British royalty, and then refinding or finding his faith again as, a, as an adult or older man that has made him who he is. Now to deprive other youth of that opportunity to have a variety of experiences that make them who they are in the future is like stealing experiences from people. And I think personally, I think that's wrong. Um, but more importantly, the conversation that is not being had because of this debate is that the real issues, for example, you have end-to-end -end encrypted platforms that are really popular in Pakistan, where sex clips go viral, where child pornography is an issue, where harassment of women on social media is a very common thing, including death threats, and it caused a, a, a lot of trauma. Those conversations are not happening because the platform is trying to deal with immoral and indecent content orders from the PTA and trying to stay afloat out of that, where in reality, if you have a real um, sort of important societal goal to achieve, you should be having a conversation around things like that. And for some reason, we sort of miss the, the real conversation and the meaningful conversation worth having in this entire debate. Because it's not populist, um, because it's not a slogan that people get behind. And this is what we saw um, after the gang rape on motorway, right? Um, where we're saying, oh, let's hang them, let's do this, without even recognizing that, okay, even if you are going to hang someone, which we're obviously not in favor of, right? In terms of the death penalty or brutalization of society and the effect of that. How will you arrive at that? You would have to investigate, uh, get, catch someone through your process, prosecute. And at the sentencing stage is when you're going to hand out that punishment. How are you going to jump through those loops where you have a 4% conviction rate because of all the flaws that exist in your, in, at the, starting with the investigation stage, all through prosecution and judicial other impediments. So you don't want to work on that. You don't want to do the hard labor of understanding issues and fixing them. All you want to do is come on television, make a statement, and everybody is sort of cheers uh, at it, and that is it. Right? And this is exactly what happens with morality. So we don't want to address child sexual abuse. We don't want to address sexual violence. We don't want to address the platform. So I, I referenced that as this in a, a news talk show earlier as well, where you know, so women are, do get uh, rape threats, death threats, all kinds of things, um, sexualized 
uh, memes, humor, it's a whole spectrum of things that are happening, right? So prior to the law, the narrative was, and actually the then IT minister, Nusha Rahman, uh, latched onto this, right? To, to uh, bulldoze speaker through, it was, oh, women are being harassed online. There is no law. This is why we need a law, right? They, you know, you've exhausted that entire argument because four years later, what is happening for women? What recourse has this law provided to them? Uh, actually, on the other hand, this law is being weaponized against women who are disclosing sexual harassment and violence, and they are being charged with defamation under this law. So really, when you talk about gender justice and what the aims are and how it's actually implemented, so there is a patriarchal consensus also um, in society, and that's something that we see online as well, where we're going to control, and we're also going to control the uh, narrative in a way that we're going to say things that you know might seem uh, to address a situation, but we're not actually ever going to go around and on ground start addressing it. Look, Kasur happened. It was termed as a child pornography issue. It was not a child pornography issue. It was a child sexual abuse issue, not a scandal that obviously had a dimension because children were being filmed. This is true also of a lot of rape cases where not only are we seeing that there are a lot of rapes and murders, but also a lot of rape that is being filmed and then blackmail. And this is a lifelong trauma that remains uh, otherwise as well, right? We're doing nothing to address any of these issues or the fact that there's a stigma associated with reporting. Why does that exist? Because of your society, because of the mentality, because of what happens when you go to the law enforcement and judiciary, right? None of this we want to address. So actually what we do is that when we talk about all of this morality, we're entrenching all of these very harmful negative attitudes that prevent uh, people, whether it's children or women or even men, uh, and male rape also happens, right? And it's something we don't want to acknowledge in this society. So you prevent all those who require platforms to speak about their issues. You require that this element of criminal activity in your society that should be resolved, you're deflecting. And you're actually entrenching all those harmful attitudes that prevent these people from coming forward. Um, to, for, and, and any chance at justice. So really we need to assess what is it that we're doing and also where is the proof? Um, I was on a talk show again on the TikTok bang and um, a gentleman from PTA uh, joined and he said that this happens all over the world. This is how regulation is done. No, this is not how regulation is done around the world. I'm sorry, but that's a completely false statement to make. But where are the people in your state institutions or otherwise fact checking this information. You know, this government is all about fake news, borrowing from Trump. Uh, they weaponize this um, fake news, right? Um, and to discredit journalists and anybody who's raising any critique. Where is your information? Where is your corroboration? Uh, even with the social media rules over, this is how they do it. No, in the UK and elsewhere, white papers were published. Um, there was a whole several-year consultative process. Laws have been struck down. And there were a series of parliamentary hearings during that period. Absolutely. Laws were uh, struck down. Um, you know, the uh, European court and the, even in uh, the UK, their uh, Investigatory Powers Act, because it infringed, you know, privacy uh, protections, etc., in the US, NSA, there has been sort of rollback and check and uh, over in the national security paradigm. 
So there have been all of these shifts and conversations. So what world are we living in and what examples are we given? Uh, are, are we giving people and people are also readily accepting them without questioning that uh, whether this is true or not. And I think on the motorway case, for example, I believe the rapist still has not been apprehended and coverage on television has been barred according to court orders, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but again, you know, the point around not wanting to do the deeper dive and study around these issues, like I remember watching the Netflix TV show Mindhunter, which is based on the FBI's groundbreaking work on serial killers. They decided, and it was even at that time, a few decades ago, an uphill battle in the FBI, they said, we have these bunch of serial killers that are in jail. Why not have interviews, in-depth conversations with them to understand what motivates them? Why do they make the choices they do? And is there some psychological element? And it led to groundbreaking research that furthered humanity's understanding of serial killers, because it's not just about hanging serial killers and, oh, there will be a deterrent factor. No, there's a lot of complexity in terms of what this human being, mostly an adult man, faced as a child growing up, were they abused by their father? Were they abused by someone else? Was there other issues? Were they killing cats as a young boy and no one paid attention to it? All of that needs to be studied in the Pakistani context before you decide what it is that you need to do to solve this crisis. And it is a crisis, hanging just won't do. Um, so I think it is quite a disappointment to see that our society still to this day sort of stuck in, in, in that sort of hang them and you will deal with the problem mentality. Um, I know we're coming to the end of our time. So I want to spend the last few minutes in terms of your point of view in terms of looking ahead. What's next? Is this going to be are there going to be new social media rules and then the VPN control? Is Pakistan, the question I have is, is Pakistan moving towards the firewall, the great firewall of China model? Is that the goal or how do you see things evolving in the next few weeks and months? We've always aspired to be a China in that sense for control while preserving this facade, as I said, of this modern progressive democracy, which we're obviously not. Um, and so uh, they, I don't, so it's going to be either they're going to shed this facade and it's going to be outright fascist. Uh, but if not, then this insidious fascism is going to continue as we are seeing right now. Um, so we know for a fact, we have these uh, laws, we have filtering technology in place, surveillance technology in place. Um, which also circumvents legal protections and nobody's looking at that or talking about it. We have a second version of the uh, social media rules that will make, that will surface at some time. It's still secretive. There's still confusion about what stage it's at. And uh, there's no reason to believe that it's going to be substantially different or better. Um, we have a data protection bill uh, which was, you know, they, for, for a change, they put it out on the ministry website and solicited comments. However, that has data localization um, clauses in it as well. Just like the social media rules want companies to establish offices and also provide, you know, establish servers, hand over information. So all of that is still very much there. Um, so we're going to see this pattern continue. Um, also with the data protection bill, um, the state is exempted. So the state holds so much information and um, authorities hold so much information. So it's all sort of private sector. There's no uh, differentiation between larger organizations, smaller organizations, penalties, liabilities are the same. That's just not how it's done. 
So really, I don't know who sits in what office and decides this is brilliant scheme of, you know, 15 years we've been talking about a data protection bill. 2005 is when uh, a significant uh, version emerged. It's 2020 now. We still do not have data protection or privacy laws in Pakistan. But we do have uh, criminal laws which excessively criminalize speech have been used against journalists and dissidents and citizens and now political parties in opposition. Um, and, and ironically, this is a law that was used against uh, social media workers of uh, the PTI uh, when you know Noon League brought this law. Um, and PTI, when they saw this law, said, oh, this is made just for us because this was a party that rose from social media. Right? A lot of it's sort of narrative and everything. Now you have um, come full circle. The ones who introduced this law are the ones who are being charged under this law. And this is a loop that Pakistan and Pakistani politics and society, I mean, that's all we've seen over a period of years, right? Um, so really going forward, we need to scrutinize these specific uh, laws. We need to get rid of the ones that are being used. We need a holistic approach and we need a consolidated approach. So it can't just be over oh, this is happening to political parties and journalists and uh, in, in different sort of segments, you can't compartmentalize it. This is a freedom of expression and democracy issue for all of us, including um, you know, threats to women online. It's not a women issue. It's a safety issue. It's a society issue. It's a democracy issue, especially when your journalists are targeted. Uh, there was a statement, women in the media, attacks on women in the media. Um, for doing their jobs, they're attacked on the basis of their gender. That is most certainly a free expression and democracy issue. It should not be uh, sort of categorized as only a woman thing. So, so the other thing is for male allies or just anybody, whether it's political parties or um, you know the legal fraternity or even the journalist community, to recognize that this is a collective fight. This is not about men leading and men doing certain things. It's about all segments of society. Uh, coming together collectively for all our freedoms. Well, I, I, on the, I fully agree with that. And I think it's, it's, we need to be mindful of the fact that the strategy from the other side will be to divide and conquer. The, again, going back to the British, we love British strategies and British laws in, in the subcontinent, um, including Pakistan. Um, and I think like from the data protection angle, like I would like to see two things being made public in the first data protection act, if it were to ever pass, what information and what agencies are seeking what information from Nadra in terms of citizens records and their details and two, what information, including locational data is our agencies, investigative agencies in Pakistan seeking from telecommunications companies. I would like to know whether people's data, your data, your friends' data, our friends' data is being shared and under what pretext and under what, you know, clauses. And you're absolutely right. The state is the biggest hegemon when it comes to using a lack of a data protection bill to find out information about people and either leaking them or using it for whatever purposes. But that is, I think that should be the real conversation versus having data localized so that the FIA can go in and take away people's laptops because they think there's certain information that they need access to. And in that environment, and I think you will agree with this, major internet companies, for example, every Pakistani official who comes to Washington DC or New York or goes to Silicon Valley talks about having PayPal in Pakistan. They're not going to invest in Pakistan under this, under this kind of an environment. And again, this facade of digital Pakistan will be nothing more than a facade as long as the structural issues are not addressed. Absolutely. And digital Pakistan can't be this PR campaign or oh, come 
uh, visit and invest and travel in Pakistan if you're not going to put in the you're not going to get your policies right if you're not going to get your laws right and also one thing to understand is Pakistan is not there is this very misconceived notion they internally they see Pakistan as a market um, you know which is like India or other countries no Pakistan is not there yet right and it's not there yet because of a lot of things that we haven't done right you again um, you know market driven economics is about numbers also and, and about policies uh, companies were in India prior to a lot of the regressive things that we are seeing happen there um, in terms of even the the internet space and the digital space and the laws and regulations companies have not entered your market in the same way you're talking about putting out all of these sort of regressive control oriented plans, which is great in a way because it shows you really what their intent is. But how is this an invitation when you're putting really a gun to somebody's head saying, if you don't hand over data, we're going to block you. Or the fact that you're saying, when you come here, we are going to make sure you hand over your data to us, right? Um, and uh, this is something the company should be wary of no matter what they tell you uh, in internal consultative processes, because this is a problem what companies do. Sure, companies will, uh, you know, as capitalist sort of organizations, they will try and seek those back channel consultations and try and work away with government. But what happens is that we on ground as citizens and advocates keep fighting for our rights, which often um, times is uh, perceived as too confrontational and offensive. But really, uh, when it comes to um, consequences, the same apply to your right to do business. And it's not going to change because they don't want to change their policies. They don't want to let go of control. And so uh, companies need to figure out at Pakistan as a market, are they going to continue to appease and pander to the government to, for their own sort of gains um, and at the cost of citizens and users? Because that's in the long run, that is not going to help them out either. And it isn't clearly if they can uh, wake up one day and block a TikTok and a Bigo and re-threaten YouTube and all of that. You're not going to get any kind of regulatory certainty by talking to them uh, or appeasing to them. Well, on that note, Faria, this has been a wonderful conversation. You, your organization, Bolo Bhi, there is a small community of digital rights activists very tightly knit in Pakistan that are doing a fantastic job and keep up the vociferous opposition to this sort of creeping moral policing um, and creeping authoritarianism and fascism in Pakistan. I wish you all the best. Stay safe and we'll chat with you again soon, see how things develop. Maybe uh, TikTok is the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I think both of us are equally pessimistic in the sense that this is a continuation and the trends will accelerate in the next few months. So stay safe and keep up the good fight. Thank you so much.